the new sermon series is called Put on the New Self. So kids, you might listen for the word new. We might say that word a lot today, okay? So you can go ahead and turn Colossians chapter 3 so you'll be ready. And, and this idea of putting on the new self, the new life in Christ, you've heard that if you've ever been in church, right? I mean, even from the beginning, if you're a Christian, you were asked to be born again. I mean, something new is going on when we talk about that. Millard Erickson says, the Christian life, by its very nature and definition, represents something quite different from the way we previously lived. In contrast to being dead in sins and trespasses, it is new life. Did you hear what he said? By definition, the Christian life should look different than the way we previously lived. So, if you're already convicted by that statement, please don't get up and walk away. There isn't anything here to be condemning today, just encouraging that as we grow in Christ, we ought to begin to look a little different, okay? Hopefully, the person that invited you to Christ to begin with told you that, and they didn't pull one of these things where they say, all you got to do is just believe, and then like later they tell you, oh, well, you're supposed to not do this, 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 and this, and do this, this, and you say, hey, wait a minute. You said, I only had to believe in Jesus. Well, here's the deal. God does this work in us, which is the great news, because none of us are good enough to accomplish any of this on our own. But he has given us his Holy Spirit, just like he did Elijah, and he is working in us to become a new person. Are you with me? I like to read, and, and they say these days that, you know, when you look on the Internet especially, the best blogs and articles and even books that you find on Amazon, the ones that sell the most or you get clicked on the most are the ones that tell you how to do something. Or they're titled something like, How to Lose Weight in 10 Days, you know, or How to Make More Money Next Year. Everybody clicks on that one, right? Or the top 10, those, those kinds of things. You know, the top 10 players of all time or whatever it is, okay? Top five ways to be a better spouse. That would be a good one. Well, our passage for the next three weeks, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, is kind of like the how to live the new Christian life in 17 verses or something like that. So today we're going to focus on verses 1 through 4, and then we'll go 5 through 11 next week, and then 12 through 17 the final week, okay? If, if I were you, let me just encourage you. In your time of reading the Bible, and if you don't do that, I would encourage you to do it every day. We're going to talk about that some today too. Read through the book of Colossians every day for the next three weeks. It's short. It's only five chapters um, four chapters, and, and you can read it in probably 10 minutes, but it will give you a really good um, idea of what Paul is saying here to this church, and, and you could do that, and then you will be ahead of the curve every Sunday for the next couple of weeks when you come in, okay? So let's, let's dive into our passage. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then, your Bible might say, Therefore you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him 
in glory. At the beginning, it says, if then you have been raised, your version, I said, might say, therefore. Well, what's he talking about? In the chapter right before this, chapter 2, verse 11, he says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, talking about circumcision of the heart, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, what we just did, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So he's talking about those of you who are Christians, if you were buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in a new life, and then he jumps to verse 1 in chapter 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, what's he give us a command? Seek the things that are above. Okay, and that's what we're going to be focusing on today, seeking the things that are above, setting our minds on things that are above. But before we get too far into it, let's 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 pray just quickly. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Use your word to to clean us and make us new. Use your word to sanctify us. Use your word to help us grow. Use your word this morning specifically to teach us teaches about setting our minds on things that are above kingdom things rather than worldly things. We're ready to hear from you today. Amen. So our command is what? Seek the things above. Seek the things above. Now, I don't know exactly what you might think about what Paul is talking about here. You know, what's he talking about seeking the things above? Is he talking about just going out and gazing at the stars? Does he want us to be astronomers? No, I don't think so. I think he's talking about kingdom things. He says, think about things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Christ's things, Christ's kingdom's things. Okay? And so he gives three reasons in these short four verses of why we should do that. Number one is because of what is true of your past. You have been raised. You died. Those are things that happened in your past if you're a Christian. Seek the things that are above because of what is true of your present. Your life is hidden with Christ. We're going to talk about that. And then the third thing, he says, seek the things that are above because of what will be true about your future. And he talks about us appearing with Christ when he comes back a second time. Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. This is actually an allusion to Psalm 110 when, when he says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And he tells us to set our minds on things where Christ is, to be devoted to them, to focus on them. This is really interesting because he says, set your mind, your, your mind is not to be on worldly things anymore. Jesus said this exact same thing to Peter in a, in a story I know you remember. In Matthew 16, Jesus turned to Peter and said, What? <clears throat> Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Why? For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. He used that same, same, same exact words that Paul is saying to the Colossians. Set your minds on the things of God. Not on the things of this world. Paul, later in Philippians, he said, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind the world and straining forward to what lies ahead, kingdom above things, 
divine things, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, mature in our faith, think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He said, that's okay. This isn't going to happen all at once. But as you keep thinking the old way, God will reveal it to you. And then he'll mold you and change you. And then you can replace that old thinking with new thinking. Putting on that new self. Thinking about things that are above. Stop focusing your attention on things of this world. All those things are what? They are fading away. And yet every single morning we wake up with our minds focused on things of this world, our to-do list, our schedule, the things that we want to accomplish, the things that we want to earn, the things that we want to get to make our lives here on earth better. Our minds are not focused on things that are above. I love spending time with my friends Willie and Emily last week. Enjoy that. I was talking to Braxton and Ainsley the other day. I said, you know, when they wake up in India, when their feet hit the floor, their minds are set on things above. They're not thinking about the things that we're distracted with here because they've given up their lives to share the gospel with, with people who, who have never heard the name of Jesus, some of them. So when they wake up and their feet hit the floor, they're immediately thinking about things that are above. Who am I sharing with today? Who can I meet with today? How can I share my story with someone? How can I uh, move into a neighborhood where I can actually share the gospel and it will flow through that neighborhood? How can I make leaders who will then go back to their neighborhoods? And that's what they're thinking. Their minds are set on things above. And I think, wow, maybe it would be a benefit to give up my life to be somewhere like that where that's all I had to think about. Because so, here, I'm so easily distracted. Does everyone ever feel distracted by things of the world? You've heard it said this way, Matthew 6, don't lay up treasures, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves what? Treasures in heaven, above. Set your minds on things above where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So why do this? Seek the things that are above, number one, because of what is true of your past. In verse one, it says that you have been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing his resurrection from the dead. Did you know that happened when you were regenerated, when you, when you took on the new birth, the new life, you were born again? You have been buried with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. For as, verse three, for as far as this world is concerned, you have died. So these things happened in our past. We don't have to keep being buried with Christ. We don't have to keep coming to the baptism pool every time we mess up or sin or we, we decide to follow our own will instead of his that day. It's happened. He has taken up residency. The Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. So if I'm going to seek things of above, it's because that's happened. Once it's happened, I don't keep going on with the way I used to do things. There should be a change. Something has happened in Elijah's life. Things should be different. You say, well, he's only young still. It doesn't matter what your life was like or how old you had been or, or how many years you had gone. There's, a, there's a, is a common factor in every single one of us. And we've talked about this. When we are born, we're rotten at the core. That's the common factor in all humanity. 
And when the Holy Spirit moves in, it changes us. No matter who we are, no matter where we live, no matter who our parents are, we have now been changed because we have now been made righteous in the eyes of God the Father. Amen? When you became a Christian, you were born again. It has happened. Things have changed. Our priorities are different. Our, per- our perspective is different. We don't continue on in our old way of living. Um, and, and in Romans, Paul says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? For one who has died has been set free from sin. Let me tell you, if you are continuing to live in sin and with, with no end in sight, you might want to ask yourself, does the Holy Spirit really live in me? Did I actually understand what was happening when I said, yes, I want to believe in Jesus? Because from what I can tell Paul is saying here is when that happens, something changes. We take on a new self. Does that mean we're made perfect at that moment? No, it doesn't mean that. And there's grace for that built all throughout the New Testament. But it ought to look different. And we ought not continue to live in sin if we've been set free from that sin. It's our past, it's the old life. We're no longer to be enamored with the things of this world. Rather, we are to have our minds set on the things of Christ's kingdom. This is hard, especially in this day and time. It would have been easier, I think, to do this in the 1930s when we didn't have the internet and TV and all that kind of stuff. People blasting all this stuff on us every minute of the day, trying to tell us to look at this, think about this, focus on this. And here Paul's saying, quit doing that. you got to somehow put blinders on and put your attention and focus on things that are above could be hard to do. We're going to have to really discipline ourselves to do that, aren't we? Because, man, I fall short of this like I can wake up. Man, if you get up early, it's really good because you, you can get up at 4 o'clock. It's quiet. And it's dark and, and no one's bothering you. But, man, and you can do all this and focus on things that are above. And then by 730, you're already blowing it because <laughs> something happens. You get a phone call or an email or something, and, and the next thing you know, my mind is set on things of this world again. So, God, forgive me. Help me to get my eyes focused on you again. Move ahead in faith and keep going. Okay? George Ladd, he's a theologian guy. He says, this union of the believer with Christ in his death means that he or she has also died to the elements of the world. Since they have died to the world, they are no longer to live as though they were mere worldlings. This new life is further described in Ephesians 2.10 as a new creation of God designed for good works. I really like that. Designed for good works. Now, can a non-Christian do good works? Sure. I know a lot of non-Christians who are kind and generous and do a lot of good things, but it doesn't come from a foundation of having the Holy Spirit live in their life. There's a difference. But when he does take up residency in our life, it should change the way we live. There should be good things coming out of us, pouring out. Not because we're all of a sudden just really great people, but because all of a sudden we have the really great person living inside of us. You know, I, I know a lot of you, if you see me drive around, I used to drive in this old Honda Accord. It was red. Anybody ever seen me drive? I drove it for a lot of years, okay? And you know that... that that fabric in the ceiling that was falling down, and it needed a new transmission, and it had a tape deck. I mean, it was old, okay? I, I have a video of Braxton saying, what's that? And he stuck his finger in there. He didn't even know what it was. I had a tape deck. Couldn't connect your phone to Bluetooth, you know. Couldn't be safe. 
It, was, it didn't even get good gas mileage because it was just not very efficient back then, right? So I got, finally got a newer car. It's nice. You know, it does all those things. But can you imagine if I went to trade in my old car that needed all this work done on it, and I told the guy, I want a newer car, but can you make sure that, you know, I'm going to need to change that transmission out within the next few months? And, hey, can you get me one that has a tape deck still? Because I got this, this box of tapes that I'm still carrying around. I like using them, you know, and... And, and hey, you know, you know, my kids, they love it when I pick them up in the car line and that stuff is falling off the ceiling. They, they're really proud of that. Can you get me a car like that? That would, that would be silly if I traded in something old for something old that didn't get any better. No, when we have a new self, a new life, things are supposed to change. It's supposed to be better, better than the old, the old version. Okay, me and Willie last week, I've known him since I was five, okay? So he knows every single bad thing I've ever done. But we were talking and we were like, you know, sometimes it would be amazing to know what people back home thought about us. Would they believe it was us? You know, we didn't turn our lives over to the Lord till we were adults, okay? We were bad. And, and we grew up in the same hometown forever. So we knew everybody, you know, and they knew us. Boy, this is Brian and Willie version two, though. It should look different. It should be different. It should be better. It should be more Christ-like because he's dwelling in me. Well, if that's not the case, something's got to change. We got to be convicted to move forward in our spiritual growth. Seek the things that are above because of what's true of your past. Number two, seek the things that are above because of what is true of your present. Verse three says this, for as far as this world is concerned, you have died. And your life, your new life, your real life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. The life you now live is hidden. It's covered. It's covered by Christ. This, is, this might be a reference to the, the covering or the atonement work of Jesus when he died on the cross, making arrangements for you and I not to receive the wrath of God. He covered us. That word atonement, same word that they use for the mercy seat, the, the top of the Ark of the Covenant, is this covering. It's Jesus' place in our life. And he guards us. He covers us. Our life is hidden in Christ so that we no longer have to fear the wrath of God because when God looks on us, he views us right through the, the lens of looking through Jesus' perfect righteousness. And then he sees me. So it's kind of like Jesus standing between me and God, and when God looks at me, he doesn't even see version one of Brian anymore. He only sees Christ's righteousness. Does that make sense? Boy, that's my present. Well, if that's true of my present, if that's where we're at, that ought to motivate me to live in a way that glorifies God. I should not say, well, I'm good, I'm covered, I can live however I want. No, that doesn't happen like that. We're covered. We're hidden from the wrath of God. We sing about this in one of my favorite hymns. Now that I think about it, we probably should have sung it today. Before the throne of God above. You know that song? And verse 3 says, Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Next time you hear that, next time we see that, you'll say, that comes from Colossians 3. My life is hidden with Christ on high. 
This this should serve as a motivation for seeking the things that are above. We are in union with Christ. When Brooke and I got married, it changed everything. Our our marriage, it, it means so much more than our dating relationship. I know some of you young people that are you're dating like your first boyfriend or girlfriend, you think this is the end all be all. Trust me, it's different. When you get married, when you walk down the aisle, until that moment you say I do, you can pretty much just walk away from everything, okay? I know you think he would never leave you, 19-year-olds, but, but, but the marriage, that's different. That's a union. That's, that's done by God. That's perfect, and that's, that's why we say things like, till death do us part. You know, let me confess, okay? I know my mother-in-law is here, but Brooke's not here. I don't always feel like doing the stuff I do around the house. I don't always feel like working on our relationship. Sometimes I just feel like being selfish. I know I'm the only one. You've been selfish? Okay, well, maybe I'm not the only one. Now, I will say it definitely helps being married to someone like Brooke. She's pretty great. But sometimes my motivation to do the right thing is just the fact that she's my wife. We're married. That means something. It's a priority. In fact, it's my number one priority in my whole life behind my relationship with Jesus. So when I wake up and I want to feel selfish, I still make myself go and do the things that I know are pleasing to her because I'm working on our relationship because it's a priority because we are in union together. You are in union with Christ if you're a believer. He dwells in your heart. That ought to be some motivation to live for him. If you wake up and all you can think about is yourself and the things of the world and how you can get what you want and not think about fixing the relationship and growing in relationship with Christ, there's something broken, there's something wrong. It might be that you don't have anyone that you can admit this to. Find someone and just go up to them and say, man, I'm having a hard time working on my relationship with Christ. I don't even care if they're a Christian. Just go and admit it to somebody because at least admitting it will get you on the right track to asking for forgiveness and then moving ahead in faith, becoming the man and the woman God wants you to be. Our life is hidden with Christ. We're covered. Now it's time that we act like it. Set our minds on things that are above. Number three, Seek the things that are above because of what will be true of your future. Look at verse 4. Man, if this doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. When Christ, who is your life, appears, talking about his second coming, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is your life. In John chapter 11, Jesus, he arrives at the town of Bethany. And, he's, and he finds his friend Lazarus has been dead for four days. Do you remember that story? Now, Jesus, he's going to raise Lazarus. No doubt in my mind, he already knows that's going to happen. But before all that happens, he has this conversation with Martha, Lazarus' sister. You remember that? And she says, if you would have just been here earlier, if you would have just been here, if you would have just shown up a little quicker, my brother would not have died. What's he say? Martha, verse 25, John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He wasn't even talking about the physical life he was fixing to raise Lazarus back from, was he? If we've died with Christ, we will live with him forever. We have given the same resurrection power that the Father gave him. Christ is your life. And when he appears, 
you also will appear with him in glory. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. And if someone ever walks in here and tells you that they know a certain date that it's going to happen, please grab your family and Bible and run, okay? But he is coming back. If he's not, then what are we talking about? Our hope, our future hope is wrapped up in the, the single fact that he, that he was raised from the dead, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and one day is going to return to make all things right again. That's our future hope. Our future hope isn't that if I become a Christian, I'll have better health, or I'll make more money, or I'll live longer, or my relationship with my spouse will be better. My future hope is wrapped up in the fact that one day, I'm leaving this place that is broken, and he is going to make a new place that is perfect and right. Paul is appealing here to, to what will be true of the, of the church's future when Christ, who is their life, appears. Because one day Christ will appear, and the Colossians will appear in glory with him. They should live rightly in the present as those who are pursuing Christ and the things that are associated with Christ. He's saying, look... This is coming. You ought to be motivated to live in a way like you're being prepared for that. 1 Corinthians 15 is, is a great chapter about the resurrection. And, and in verse 42 to 49, Paul says this, So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, what is first, is perishable, our physical bodies. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. This is the right order. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, us in our sin. And as is the man of heaven, Jesus, so also are those of us who are of heaven now that we are raised. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. Amen? Man, if that doesn't get you excited, do you know we're going to be raised to look like him? They, the New Testament says that, I don't know exactly what this means, but our bodies are going to be like his new glorious body. We're, we're taking on his image. Set your minds on things that are above because you want to prepare for your future when you will be with Christ, when he returns. Seek the things that are above because you are waiting with anticipation for the day and you want to be ready when he appears. Did any of you guys ever go off to college? I went off to college. I didn't do so well there. If you ever been away to college or something like that and then you get this phone call from your mom and she says, hey, you know, you go off to college. It's kind of your own time and place finally. Put whatever posters you want on the wall, no one to tell you. Cook whatever you want for dinner, knowing to tell you what to eat. Maybe clean up your room, maybe not. Maybe make your bed, maybe not. And then your mom calls, because I just want you to know we're going to stop by to see you. <laughs> We've already left. We'll be there in an hour. What? And then all of a sudden, it's like 
I, can I get six guys from the hall down here, please? I need you to take everything that's in this room and take it to your room, okay? And, and clean, clean, spray cologne, spray anything, because it smells like, you know, a high school locker room in there. And, and, and you're finding food that you ate weeks ago, and you're why, why is this even still here? You don't know. And in the anticipation of what's coming, you prepare for it. Are you with me? I know that's funny, but in the anticipation of Jesus' return, if we're not preparing for that, what's he going to find us in? What, what, what life, when he shows up in the sky to come to, to get his church, what are we going to look like? Paul says we're supposed to be getting ready as the bride. That we're supposed to, he's supposed to be preparing us to look glorious and to be holy and to be ready to be for the bridegroom when he comes. We're supposed to be living in a way that is preparing us for that. So seek the things that are above because that is true of your future. Be prepared for that. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 says this. This is Paul again. Man, a lot of good stuff from Paul today. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, now listen to this, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here's the deal. If we are believers, then we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the seal for us. Seal, you know when in the olden days when a king would would write a letter, and then he'd close the envelope, and to make sure people knew it was from him, he'd put his seal on it. You know what I mean? You don't know what I mean? No, you're too young. They would, they would close the envelope, and he had a ring, a special ring, and he would take it and dip it in some wax, and he would press it against that envelope to seal it so that when the person got it, they would know this this, this, this has this, the king's special ring, the signet ring. I know it must be from him. It's authentic because no one else has that ring. Paul says that the Holy Spirit is our seal. It's proof that we're his. The indwelling of the Spirit is how we know that we're saved. Have you ever wondered if you can know that you're saved or not? You can. You can. I can tell you. You can have assurance because you can know when the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's God's seal. It's what gives authenticity to our faith. It's the seal. God the Father, he dipped his signet ring into the blood of Jesus Christ, and then he pressed it into your life. It's your mark. It's your badge. It's the thing that lets everyone know, and you, you have been saved. You are his. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when he, when he indwells in us, he causes us to have new holy hungers that we didn't used to have. See, we don't, we don't do all of this stuff getting ready for, for, for God to come back. We don't, we don't set our eyes on things that are above just because we're just going to be disciplined to do it. No, God puts these desires in us. We're different. We're version 2.0. We're changed. 
We're new. We're going to put on the new self. Donald Whitney, he says, we must understand what we shall become, our future. Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son. God's eternal plan ensures that every Christian will ultimately conform to Christ's likeness. Did you know that? Eventually, we will all be made that way. However, although God's going to grant us this Christ-likeness when Jesus returns, until then, he intends for us to grow toward it. We're not merely here to wait for holiness. We're supposed to be pursuing holiness. It takes effort. So how do we do this? Let me finish up. What does it look like to set your mind on things that are above There's a lot of things we can do, okay? But let me suggest to you today two foundational things for every believer. You got your your writing utensil out? Two things. I want you to remember. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says that we are to train or to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. That means even though God is doing this work in us, there's some sort of role or part that we are to play. We're supposed to discipline ourselves, train ourselves. You know what that means, because anything you've ever wanted to be good at, you trained or disciplined yourself to do it. Two things. Number one is this, Bible intake. Bible intake. I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but if your Bible intake is only this 30 to 50 minutes on Sunday morning, it's not going to cut it, okay? It's not going to cut it. Think about all the time that Sidney spends throughout the week just to prepare to talk to you for those 50 minutes. He doesn't even tell you everything he learned. That's not just for the pastor, Sidney. His love for God's word is because the Holy Spirit is indwelling in him and he's supposed to look like that. All of us. If your Bible intake is reading a page or two of someone else's opinion and at the end they throw a verse at the end of it and it may or may not even have anything to do with what they just talked about for two pages, just stop. Pick up God's word, okay? I don't even care if you got it on a phone or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. And just read. Read lots of it at a time. If if the chapters are long, Read three chapters. If the chapters are short, read six chapters. Figure out what God is trying to say to you. What if I told you that your spiritual growth is determined by the quality of your Bible intake? Would that give you an idea as to why you are where you are on the spiritual growth line, whatever that is? In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. And in in John 17, 17, he says, Father, sanctify them, okay, clean them, grow them spiritually, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's plan for us to grow spiritually is to know his word. He plans to clean us or to help us grow, to sanctify us through his word. Through his word. So if we go weeks, days even, without reading it, then we aren't, we're not growing. We're not growing. Okay? There's nothing that replaces this. 
Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't read other books. I love books. There's lots of good books. But there's not anything like this book. There's not anything even close to this book. And if we don't know what it says, then how are we going to grow spiritually? we got to know what it says. So pick this up. Figure out a time. My advice to you, do it early in the morning. Because you know what happens in this earth? We set our things on our, set our minds on things that are above early in the morning, but then by the, by the middle of the day, even sometimes early in the day, we're distracted. And there's a lot of times if I say, oh, I'm going to do that later, what happens? Don't ever do it. So do it early in the morning. Grab it, read it. And if you don't know what it's trying to say to you, ask somebody to help you understand it. I want it to be normal around here for people to say, hey, would you teach me what this is trying to say to me? I think that should be okay and normal. If you don't understand something, ask somebody. Hear the, hear the word, come on Sunday mornings, read the word, study the word, the word, the word, the word. Bible intake, number one. Number two thing is this, prayer. <laughs> prayer. Before you open this thing, get on your knees and pray and say, God, I'm fixing to read your Bible and I'm not a really great reader. I don't even really understand all the things I've read in it in the past. For the next 20, 30 minutes, would you please reveal to me what you're trying to say? And then sit up in that chair and start reading. And then when you're done, you close it, say, God, I just got done reading your Bible. And this is what I took from it. And if you need me to take something else from it, would you please teach that to me? Would you put someone in my life to show me what this means? And then, Father, the, the, the main thing that I got from this, would you please help me apply this in my life and not forget about it by this afternoon? Pray. And then when you put your Bible down and you go to work or wherever you go the rest of the day, pray throughout the day. Do you realize that our, our ability our permission to pray is one of the greatest gifts that you have as a believer. You're talking to the God of creation. <laughs> and we act like, ah, oh, it's not that big a deal. Thank you, God, for this food. Amen. I mean, don't take, use it. Use it. He's begging you. Pray. Pray for everything. Pray without ceasing. Pray for big things. Pray for small things. Pray. See what God would do in your life. Write them down. That way you can go back and check it off when God answers it. And as long as he doesn't answer it, you keep going back and keep praying about it until he teaches you why he hadn't answered it. Pray. Bible intake and pray. There's lots of other good things. So don't hear me say there's not you shouldn't do other things. But those two things are foundational truths. And I believe that if every Christian would just spend time in God's word and spend time with him in prayer. Boy, we will be on our way to setting our minds on things that are above. Amen? That's what I want us to take today. Set our minds on things that are above. If you see each other this week, ask them, what you thinking about? Huh? You thinking about things that are low or things that are high? Because I saw you and looked like you were thinking about worldly stuff. How's your Bible intake this morning? How was your prayer this morning? Were you praying right before I started talking to you just now? Because you weren't talking to anyone else. And I thought, well, this would be a good time for you to be praying. So I just want to know, have you been praying? <laughs> Ask each other. <laughs> I don't know any other way to grow other than to do it together. Okay? And, and helping one another through this, boy, what will God do in the lives of our people? Next week, we're going to talk about a list of things. If, if, if you read Colossians every day this week, you're going to know there's going to be a list of things next week, verse 5 through 11, that he wants us to put to death 
We're talking about putting on the new self. We got to look different than we used to look. And so next week, don't you not come. It's time to put away some things. It's time to kill some things, put them to death. Paul says, if we have been freed from sin, there's no sense to continue living in it. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Teach us to love it more than even normal food itself. Father, I pray that your word would transform us, that we would be people who who are dedicated, devoted, to focused on things that are above, that we would start every day focusing on you and help us to keep our gaze on you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the covering that you did for us. We can never repay that. And we're not talking about doing these things because we want you to like us more. We know you've given us your all, and we are grateful for your love. Now teach us to grow in it and to live in it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.